We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you Sunday afternoon after game four of Wolves Grizzlies before game five. I'm joined by Britt Robinson of Min Post to talk about game four here, what went down at Target Center, and also to uh, look forward into at least games five and six of this series. Britt, the place I kind of want to start is you, you wrote. You wrote before Game Four about the, you know, the quote unquote collapse in Game Three. Maybe not quote unquote. It was a collapse, <laughs> but but you chose in your piece to to focus on the at least half of Game Three that was you know wildly encouraging for the Timberwolves and kind of using that as an indication of what might come here for the rest of this series and. At least for a day, that looks like the right angle to have pursued. They they definitely came out in in game four. So just give me kind of in your head where you were coming in to game four and then where you are now uh, about 12 hours after that game finished. I was just tired of the martyrdom. I, I thought that uh, I've lived in Minnesota since 1985, so I've, I've learned the, the ways and means of the populace and regard myself as almost a semi-official native now, but uh, people love to complain in a, in a manner of also being proud as a means of complaining about how they endure the weather, you know, and they do the same thing with their sports teams. It's like, as if no other professional sports city suffers, you know, crushing defeats or it's just, there is such a quick, twitch toward oh my god you know our hearts have been ripped out from us again uh right the biggest collapse or this or that you know there is another way to watch one of the ways to watch is to see the encouraging things your team is doing and why they're doing them and i especially blame a lot of the media people who it's a lazy angle to, to just focus on the quote unquote collapse and say that, you know, once again, you know, the 
people of Minnesota have been deprived of their long treasured, you know, fulfillment or whatever. Anyway, uh, that, that was my visceral reaction. So then I started to work my way through it and say, you know, why does this tick me off? And the reason it ticks me off is because from the beginning, from opening day, when they just crushed Houston, where they just a phenomenally whirlwind defensive effort that nobody saw coming uh, to game four last night, this team has been resilient. They've been entertaining to watch. They are mostly well-coached. Um, yeah, they do have a squirrely, very complicated player at the top of their food chain right now in Carl Anthony Towns. Um, but why is the quick twitch to, you know, demonize and just say, oh, you know, terrible. There's two. It's laziness. Yeah. It's laziness, man. I mean, and and it's a product of like, I mean, for me too, if I had to parachute in right now and write a column on the Minnesota Twins, right? I have not been watching right. the Minnesota right. Twins right. this season. So I, you know, I could pull something out. You probably <laughs> say something great about Buxton because you know that's safe territory, but also remind right. people that he always gets hurt, you know? <laughs> exactly. And and it is it is safe territory in you know, Minnesota sports lore fans or media to, you know, to reach into that vault of, you know, the Vikings blowing the the Saints game in 2009 or 98 or whatever you want to do, right. you know, go, right. go down the line with all that. But the reason it's lazy specific to this team is that you, if you had been watching the Wolves for the whole season, you saw trappings of the things they do best in game three. And quite frankly, you saw the game plan for what worked in game four, which was, you know, very direct in trying to force the ball out of Jaws hands and and let other people beat them, which then again leads to another layer of lazy analysis of why the hell don't you guard Desmond Bain? <laughs> right. Well, you got to pick or choose here right. because when right. you bring Cat up and that way and you show two on jaw to get the ball out of his hands, what they've now effectively done in games three and four. Yeah, the guy in the corner is going to be open. There's not really a way to both limit Ja Morant from getting downhill and pick and roll and, you know, to face guard Desmond Bain in the corner. You can't do both. Right. And what the Wolves chose after game one was we're not letting Ja split that pick and roll. We're doing everything we can to not let him get downhill. And the externality of that and we could go back and forth, whether it's positive or negative, is Desmond Bain's going to shoot 10 threes. And last night, you know, he makes eight of 12 of them. But, but turn cold in the it, fourth quarter. And that exactly. was huge. So, I mean, you know, again, you live and die with what you have. I, I guess, you know, what you just described is, is, is a perfect response to my initial comments, which is if you want to get into the beauty of the game of basketball, the depth of it, the dynamism of it, the ability to see how matchups evolve, how moves and counter moves happen. This series is full of them. And not only they're not subtle. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> they, they are gang guarding cat. They are gang guarding jaw. Um, how these subsidiary people work off that and how the principles themselves 
keep their composure or lack thereof is also important. And and so it just it's why it's fun. It's why it's fun for those of us who have been paying attention, not not just media members, but fans, too, because most of the fans who have been watching this team all year, you know, get that whole balance that Finch tries to strike on both ends of like, we're going to take things and simultaneously, you know, give some things away. And that le- that's what leads this team to be a volatile team. They have chosen an identity of volatility and because they believe it swings up more than the volatility. And also down. because they are operating, they are trying to cover a fundamental weakness, which is that they don't have front court depth to play any other way of defending people. And so they have to use their quickness such as it is. They don't have brawn. So the idea of taking away the quick person with some of your quick personnel that happen to be bigs is a good idea. And so, yes, there's going to be penalties paid for it the other way. But even if you're not like a diehard Wolves fan, let's get a grip here. It was game three. Of the first round of the series, you're a seven seed. You're playing a two seed. You've kicked their ass for a 30 of the 39 minutes with like nine minutes to go in the game. And you totally fold and lose the game. All right. That's significant. I'm not saying that that isn't news or should. Oh, no, that's should, part of the analysis. Be the lead, yeah. But to say, well, you know, fire Finch, trade cat. You know, I mean, it's like, what? You know, I mean, what are you talking You're about? Telling on yourself. Carl You're Anthony telling on Towns yourself. is was an all star. He's going to be named all league. He had his best season of his seven seasons with the Timberwolves. Does he have some I regard as fairly fundamental flaws that put him in a position right now that is not his best position in terms of his status on the team? Yes, I do think that. But does that immediately disqualify the Timberwolves and Cat from meaningful basketball moving forward? I mean, get out of here. It's just, <laughs> it's just, uh, watch the games. Enjoy what you see. Carl Anthony Towns played phenomenal defense, the thing that everybody ripped him for for most of his career. In He had blocked three shots in the first quarter. They were phenomenal on defense. This is a, a team that hasn't played defense, if Kevin Garnett isn't on it, throughout its career, even with the vaunted Jimmy Butler-Taj Gibson combo. They were 24th in the NBA in defensive rating. So appreciate the fact that this team went out and almost strictly through good schemes and sheer hustle. That's what fuels this team's defense is they have a specific way of playing defense and if players don't get after it it will crumble in a hurry so you need hustle they demonstrated hustle um and they demonstrated hustle last night uh it is a scrappy team right now yes they are coming off their first winning season since 1718 and there's like second winning season in 15 years so they're new to this but they're a fun exciting team with a lot of young talent and uh they are ringing a lot out of that talent. they are not especially mentally strong yeah uh, granted um 
And that's something they need to work on. But you're not going to go from 23 wins <laughs> to perfection to in, in a year, yeah. you know? So, right. you know, they've got the, the two-seeded Memphis Grizzlies uh, in a precarious position. They are playing the underdog role, regardless of how people want to look at it. Yes, I do agree that Cat and Ant are among the three best players on the floor. And if you want to talk about top-end talent, they probably have more top-end talent. But the Grizzlies do have more experience as a unit with the system, and they did really play great ball. They won 56 games this year. I mean, that wasn't nothing, and that was the second-best record in the NBA. I want to go back to the Jaw Bane thing because I was looking it up this, this morning, just Jaw's usage rate game to game. Yeah. In game one, it was 36. Game two, 27. Game three, 30. And then last night in game four, it was 20. So I think those numbers match in my head what's going on, where if you can get Jaw to do too much, that's valuable to the Wolves. And if you can, limit him to doing too little, right? That that's also a, a sweet spot for the Wolves. Those are the two games they won. Exactly. His highest usage rate they won, and the Wolves won the game where he had his lowest usage rate. I think if you're Memphis, you want Ja right in that middle, and we can call it the, you know, he's getting downhill, he's looking for his shot too, while simultaneously, you know, finding shooters, finding lob threats, right. that sort of thing. That's what we saw when Memphis game two. in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game two for sure you saw that all game. Right. And then in the that's why, like, I mean, 21-0 run, all that was terrible in game three. But Ja took over in that time, too, in both ways, right? right? As a scorer, yep. getting downhill, they're playing more in transition, simultaneously, you know, finding Bane. So when I just go, like, super surface level of this, you know, this series, like, obviously, the first thing we're going to look at is Ja. That's what Finch said after right. last yep. night, right? He said, yep. this team goes as Ja goes. Yep. So if you can be... If you can be the team that is dictating, right, the 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 way in which Memphis is playing, I don't think it really matters which way it is because you're dictating it. And and when it's not, when it's a little bit more chaos and now you're scrambling more, there's an extra pass you got to get to, that's where the Wolves break down and quite frankly it's where they break down pretty, you know, demonstrably, right? right. That's where that's where the runs, that's where the runs for Memphis start. Okay, a lot to respond to there. What I would say is that um game one and game four and game game one and games three and four actually had interesting ways to limit jaw that were, were different and i think in game one you basically forced him to concentrate on splitting the wall he was successful at it but was not partly because of the wolves but mostly because of his own mindset able to get most of his teammates involved and so, therefore, I think he was more of a one-man team, and I don't think that works as well in the playoffs. So even though he did get to the line 20 times and did do a good job against the high wall, um, it wasn't the Memphis offense that we've seen hum at different times during this. I think one of the keys in games three and four is that he's working really hard on defense and concentrating on not fouling. Yep. Not exactly. not fouling and having to work on defense are really cutting into 
just his own little kind of like internal rhythm, his mental well-being. He's not playing. I, it wasn't until they were coming back hard late in the fourth quarter. He grabbed the ball and went court length on a beautiful layup after that was incredible free throw or something. That's the jaw that Memphis is used to seeing flash about a half a dozen to 10 times a game. Yep. They saw it like maybe twice, three times at the most the other night. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really do think setting the tone by having Pat Bev drive to the lane uh, and be the bulldog in that sense, having that nice stop and go dribble the boot when people come over to guard what Memphis is doing there is they're overreacting on defense because they know how important Ja is and they don't want him to get in foul trouble. What Ja is doing is defending as best he can, knowing he's a bad defender and knowing if he overexerts himself, he's going to pick up some early fouls. It changes a lot of the dynamic of the game. And um, it's really interesting when I asked that question, first of all, I blew the question by saying uh, that we're going <laughs> at Pat Bev rather than going at Josh. But once everybody finally figured out what the hell I was trying to say, Pat Bev <laughs> took credit for it instead of Finch. And he said, that's on me. I was going to yeah. go right at Josh. And he may be right. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think he has an occasion to lie about it. I think Fitch probably said, let's go aggressively at people or in general or be aggressive. Mm-hmm. And Pat Bev said, we're going to go, you know, I, I am going to win my matchup with John ja Morant. And if true, it would be phenomenal. I mean, and, and so I think that's a dynamic that the seed was definitely planted well at the beginning of game three. And it was continued to a slightly lesser extent simply because they did want to get Cat involved early and they did want to establish some other things. But that's something in their pocket now that's also in the back of Jaws mind. I mean, we talk about mind games with Cat, and they're definitely there. They're going to be there. You know, they're going to be there against Charlotte in late January. So, you know, it, yeah. is, it isn't, you know, that big of a deal. It's, it's, it's obviously more pronounced now. But there are mind games going on inside a jaw right now. And and so um, that's that's very, very important. And I think that's that's one of the reasons why um, people who think that this is going to be a great series uh, have reason to continue to feel that way. I wonder if they're going to mix it up, uh, Memphis. I think I put Ja on D'Lo because, I mean, in just like all things equal, D'Lo is obviously a better isolation player than Patrick Beverly is. But what Pat Bev's doing, like Pat Bev plays quick, right? And he plays forceful when when he gets to the rim, even though he's not a big player. Right. He likes and, to play in the paint. Yeah, right. Exactly. And Ja, you know, what's Ja weigh? 170 pounds, right. you know, like. You're moving them. And, and D'Lo is very good at, you know, drawing fouls. And again, in a vacuum, a better isolation player. But he doesn't play fast and or very physical when when he's going to the basket. Now, D'Lo might just be able to they might just put that in pick and roll over and over again. I'm not saying that would work for sure. Right. But I think if you're Memphis, you got to look at three and four and say, well, you know, we've done a good job of slowing down the big three guys. but it's become a big four with how impactful 
you know, Pat Bev has been. So can we kind of recalibrate around that? Because Pat Bev has no fear of that matchup. No. I mean, he, he, <laughs> he, he, he like, it won't be something he gets bored of, right? right like right. They, he will, they will, they will keep doing it. And his teammates are clearly empowering him right. to do so. And I don't know. What did Pat finish with last night? Like 17 or something I yeah. have here in front of me. Pat finished with 17 last night. Right. Um, I think but, probably the fourth leading, the third leading scorer on the team wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Cat 33, Ant 24, Pat Bev 17, your boy J Mac with 16, uh, <laughs> right behind, <laughs> who we'll for sure talk about here. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I, it's just as we, as we think about like adjustments in this series, you look at what Pat's been able to do against Ja just in terms of scoring, but also it's getting Ja in foul trouble. Right. Like Ja picked up two early in game three guarding Pat. He picked up two early uh, in game four, the, the same thing. And then, you know, it's the it's the the foul trouble sort of back and forth the whole time as Wolves fans know all too well what it's like when your best player is either on the bench with foul trouble or playing with the anxiety of picking up that next foul. So I, there's not a hiding spot for Ja in the, the Wolves starting lineup. Unless it's Vando. But- See, that's the thing. I mean, but you can't. Do, I, know, I, I, know, I, 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 I was thinking about that too. He'll just kill him. He'll just kill him on the glass. Like right, that's right. That's a little. That, I think that's too. But maybe uh, point being, you got. I think you got to do something different than than what they've been rolling out there because it's the foul trouble, and it's exerting jaw on defense more than he has. I think pretty much, pretty much all season. But let me get a. Okay, let sure. me get a. Let me get a, a break in here. Right. We could talk a little bit more about jaw, but also. Other side of the ball, let's uh, let's get into Cat and how he was able to to score as well. Okay. Today's show is brought to you by Twenty by Twenty Solutions. As I've mentioned before, Twenty by Twenty Solutions is a Minneapolis-based consultancy that works with growing organizations to create and sustain success. Whether it's technology, workflow, platform architecture, or more, they'll help you build a strategy that fits your goal and execute a plan that fits your resources. This basketball season, 20 by 20 has partnered with Begin Anew, a Minnesota-based nonprofit focused on helping people in their journeys to recover from addiction, providing support and conversation to people throughout the process of recovery. 20 by 20 is sponsoring a donation campaign through the ScoreSide platform where you can tie your giving automatically to every rebound the Timberwolves grab this season. Go to 20by20solutions.com slash begin. That's 20x20solutions.com slash begin to install the ScoreSide app and look for the Rebounds for Recovery campaign and join the campaign. Support your team and your community with every board for the rest of the season. 20x20solutions.com slash begin. 20 by 20 solutions, your sixth man on a winning team. All right, we are back with Britt Robson of MinPost, uh, recapping game four to some extent, looking forward to adjustments and such as we move forward in these final three three games of this series, but I kind of, I kind of cut you off before the break with the, with the jaw conversation. We can go a little bit further with that before we get into what Kat was able to do. Yeah. I think it's interesting to me how little they run classic pick and roll, especially horizontal pick and roll. They'll do some vertical pick and roll, but jaw is mostly a fly down the court kind of guy who doesn't really have time for the pick and roll to some extent. I think that if they're going to have Pat Bev on him all the time, uh, I would punish Pat Bev for closely guarding Ja and play a little bit more deliberately in the half court and stack those mm. picks. Um, 
because of- yeah that's spain they were doing that spain thing with bane um a lot in game three and they were also raising the remember in the fourth quarter how high they were setting those screens explain, on jaw with your listeners or our listeners what spain yes. is. well it's it's just functionally bringing up two guys who could theoretically set the screen for jaw in a high pick and roll and the second one of them of the players who doesn't set the screen um, on Jaws man sets the screen on the screener, which allows them to kind of, you know, now now you have a clear lane to the the, the lob to the basket. But what what Memphis did a lot or does a lot is that they use Bane in that. And and it's kind of a it's a dummy Spain action where they have him peel off and he doesn't actually set that second screen on Tillman's guy or Clark's guy or whatever. And he peels off. It's something we see with Malik Beasley a lot. Where where he kind of peels off of that, and now you're above the break, and Bain doesn't. I mean, Bain is getting to the point where he needs about as little time as anybody in the league to you know to to get his shot off. I mean, I was talking about before of like you know picking your poison. I think Bain is maybe the better poison between Bain and Job, but like let's not pretend Bain isn't poisonous. Oh, like and also he, that dude was awesome. Did you see? I mean, I didn't realize the dude had as much scrap in him. Is, I mean, that lunge on that fourth quarter where he thought there was a loose ball with him, that was... Where he went full belly flop? Oh, my God. I mean, that had I to have it. hurt. That had to have hurt with, with... I don't know where the burns happened. My guess is on the elbows. But uh, I really... There were burns after <laughs> that dive. And, and so, yeah, I mean, he... And he also... He, he went after a lot of loose balls. He prompted a lot of tough calls, borderline calls on fouls. Uh, he's not a catch-and-shoot dude. And I think that's a big change from his rookie season. You know, I it doesn't – I don't remember Bain being so hard-nosed as he is now. And he maybe just kind of caught the fever from the rest of his teammates. But but anyway – He's a dog. And, and And which also makes the fact that he could – land those picks if he wanted to rather than paying them. Although I do understand that then he wouldn't get the ball nearly as much and what's really kind of what you want at the end of the day anyway. But I agree with you. They have to do something about jaw. I mean, Memphis has to do something about jaw. I think for the sake of his own rhythm and confidence and moving forward past this series, if they are able to do that, that they need to figure out a way to not de-emphasize him to get that. Um, right. And so I think that's why I, I, I recommended more of a classic pick and roll um, because they had got the guys to do that. I mean, Jackson, who's been a huge disappointment, by the way, this season. Let's talk about that a little bit. But um, the fact that he could be used as a screener, if he's not going to be able to do anything else, you know, use him more as a, as a physical presence on offense. I think this is why Adams is going to play again in game five. Well, I, I mean, that's a, he's that's the screener. Like, that, that's how they ran pick, traditional like pick and roll. your own poison. That's a Romeo and Juliet concoction. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I, I think that Adams Adams could have, should have gotten played off the floor in his limited minutes the other night. I'd put him like just as – I'm not saying it's a good I, idea. A I'm saying it above, might be the – Above Nas Reed is like the, the, the worst guy to have in the game lately, you know? I don't know. Well, okay. So I, in my mind, it's very clear that the best thing Memphis can do lineup wise in the front court is Jaron Jackson Jr. And Brandon Clark playing, playing those two together. Dunk. 
And and that, and that's, that's on Taylor Jenkins. That the fact that that hasn't been a starting lineup is ridiculous. I, I, they I will played tell you, fifty-four minutes as a person because I cover the Wolves. I'm obviously pulling for the Wolves. I mean, I like the team, but it's also I get to watch basketball by the team I cover more. But as a person who is that way biased in this series, I fear that lineup. I fear whatever <laughs> whatever Brandon Clark steps on the court. I just th- think to myself. We have to weather these minutes if you're the Wolves, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's unconscionable how little he played the other night. They've played Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark next to each other in this series for 54 minutes. In those minutes, the defense by Memphis has been excellent. Defensive rating of 86.7, which leads to a net rating of plus 32.8 when Jackson Jr. and Clark are on the floor. Only 54 minutes. It was 13 minutes in last night's game. Right. That's kind of how it's been right. in, in every one of these. And now what people could counter with of why there hasn't been as many minutes of that is because Jackson Jr. has been in foul trouble as much as he has. But he gets in at the same time, less if Brandon Clark's on the court. <laughs> true. But also, he's only played 54 minutes with Clark. That seems like his most obvious best pairing. Right. Yet he's played 72 minutes next to Brooks. He's played 77 minutes next to Ja, and he's played 83 minutes next to Bain. So there are more minutes. He hasn't only played 54 minutes in the series. Like, he maybe has 20 fouls through the four. Not maybe. He does have 20 fouls through the first four games, and it's limiting his minutes. But Jackson Jr. is huge in the series. He is the rim defender for that team, and he is what unlocks their ability to do the Clippers' defense on, you know, on cat and and effectively double that, get it out of his hands. Part of the problem is I thought Kyle Anderson was going to be the best guy to put on cat kind of thinking he's the Batum archetype, but that hasn't proven to be true. The best option has been Clark there with Jackson jr roaming. And it's kind of becoming the only thing they have because the Tillman, the Tillman thing is not from game two is very much looking like a flash. He's also slow. I mean, He's also slow, yeah. And, and and Kyle Anderson is Gumby, and that there's some good aspects to Gumby, but Brandon Clark is barbed wire. And, you know, in the playoffs, if you can have barbed wire guarding Cat, somebody who is bendy, flexible, and not quite as flexible as a Gumby prototype, but somebody who, when they bend, doesn't bend very far. I mean, they're bendable, <laughs> but... Uh, Sooner or later, they decide to stop bending, and then you're screwed. Um, I I agree that Kyle Anderson has some aspects to his game that are really good. Um, I happen to think that Cat in aggressiveness mode will prompt mm-hmm. fouls on Anderson that Clark doing almost the exact same thing can defend simply through brawn. You know, um, there are guys who can stand cat up without doing too much. Steven Adams is one of them, but Steven Adams will never get the chance because cat will go around him. Same thing with Tillman to some extent. I mean, you need somebody again, the Clipper prototype is, is shown to be, you know, I mean, not only Batum, but Morris and even Zubak to some extent. These guys are not necessarily slow. Zubak probably is, but he's still faster than Tillman and Adams, you know. And so you need the combination of brawn and mobility 
Clark is a perfect primary guy, and I think Jackson is a perfect secondary guy for that scheme. And why they don't why they don't do it is is nuts to me. It just it just goes back to what we've been talking about all year, yeah. where it's you know you come the the new Wolves opponent of the night right. comes out and you go oh okay you're just you're just gonna guard Cat straight up one on one. Did you not watch any of the games right. earlier this year? And that like, was that you, was game one problem. But meanwhile, right. I mean, they they had four games of very competitive basketball in the regular season. They had to throw Dylan Brooks in the mix and figure him out. But then also, they've now had four games of very intense playoff competition. And I've got to think, I've got to think that there has to be an internal dynamic that we don't know, like the relationship between Jenkins and Jackson Jr. Maybe Jackson Jr. requires a certain type of maintenance because he is fairly hot-headed and he is foul-prone. And maybe putting him at the center, maybe he just doesn't like the position. Or I don't know. He does sub out first. He does sub out first right. even when he isn't uh, in foul trouble, which is kind of like the same thing as D'Lo does on the Wolf right. side, right? And that's that's kind of a product of, I think of two things. One, wanting to limit his minutes to some extent, but also wanting to play him with different groupings of people. And to the extent that he wants him to play with Clark, that makes sense because Clark has is, is become, he wasn't in, you know, during the season a lot, but he's become a key member of that, that second unit. And so um, being able... It's funny, but like what these teams both need is to just play their best players more, like not go as deep into their benches and stuff, right? Like just, just play your position groupings that best work here. Yeah. But you can't do that because both teams are in foul trouble all game, every game. It is necessitating the bench right. to be able to, to deliver in this. So it's, I mean, yes, I agree. I brought it up. Like, I, I think you got to play Clark at Jackson Jr. more. But, I mean, man, it was crazy looking at the stat monitor last night. It was like every quarter, okay, all the Grizzlies starters have two fouls. Okay, second quarter, they all have three. Third quarter, they all have four. You know, it, I mean, it was it was a, a, you know, a crazy foul game. It was not officiated well either way. Um, Agreed. But, but that's that's been the reality of the whole series. And I'll, I'll, I'll say two things about that. One is the refs have a really, really tough job in this series because there are two teams um, <laughs> that are not, um, they play fast, but they're not gazelles, you know? <laughs> I mean, they play fast, but they're, uh, uh, it's, this isn't showtime we're watching, you know? I mean, and so, right. and they also both appreciate physicality uh, whether it's because they've been beat on or because they've learned that beating on people is better um so i think the rest have a tough job i agree that they've been you know inconsistent which brings me to my second point i felt like a more than a more than once like three or four times when two people were defending a person and it looked like both of them may have followed them the guy who had the fewest fouls got the call I mean, there were a couple times I went, oh, that's the fourth on Jackson. And, oh, no, okay, that was on Tillman, huh? Didn't look like a foul on Tillman. It looked like a foul on Jackson. And and that does happen in closet ways. I see, you know, referees sometimes 
not wanting to put a fifth on somebody or something. And and it's two guys and they, you know, they give it to the guy who committed the third. So I do think there was some of that, which is what. That's what Delo said. He, you know, he sits on the bike right in front of where, where Chris and I do. And, and I thought he put it well. He goes at both ways. He goes, these refs are constantly scrambling to make makeup calls for makeup calls <laughs> and, and balance. And he was saying it both ways. He actually right, said right. it after a, a foul that went the wolves way, but it was just, I don't know. It was like late in the third quarter, and it had been you know thirty plus minutes of this. That's a this very sus- sort of succinct function. way of what I was trying to talk about, and I I agree with that. I think there there was one call where they just got it so totally wrong. I think the replay even reversed the call, <laughs> and so they immediately called something. I think Taylor Jenkins had just won a challenge, and it didn't look like the challenge should have really worked. And and like the very next play, the refs called a foul against Memphis that was just a dreadful call. And I felt like that was like, you challenged it, you won. But that call I made the last play was right. And now like the score is even on that. We're making up for the makeup. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, okay. But before we totally move away from the, the Clark and Jackson and Memphis front court, I mean, we got to talk about the cat part of it. Yeah. Like, by all means, what version you're getting of cat? against whoever the hell Memphis is throwing out to guard them in the front court. That That is like, you know, that is the defining factor. If Cat, like what I've been saying all series is Memphis doesn't have a matchup for Cat. They do have a matchup for Cat in foul trouble, right? Like they That's can pretty much get line. away with That's any of their line. Yeah. They can get away with any of their coverages really against Cat if he's in foul trouble. If, if he's in foul trouble, slow Xavier Tillman can play with him right. because now Cat, is going to be hesitant to try and punish that with his speed because he's afraid of getting a charge, you know? So, I mean, I just give, you know, Cat a lot of credit last night for, you know, playing and avoiding foul trouble in a game that was a heavy, chaotic makeup of a makeup foul right. sort of game. And, and when that's happening, I mean, you almost have to have, like, your adjustment if you're Taylor Jenkins – set and developed based on what version you're getting of cat. Cause we kind of know like six minutes into the first quarter of every game, like where cats at, you just kind of look at the foul trouble column and read his, his sort of emotions. But when he last night, not in foul trouble emotions in check, it, I don't know if Memphis has much of a matchup for that. Hitting that early three, I think was enormous. I think it was the yep. first play of the game. Um, and when you, I, I decompressed myself when I saw that, I thought, okay, that eliminates some of the early Had a glass of wine. <laughs> exactly. That, that eliminates that, that decompresses the idea that cat is going to have to be tight. Well, you know, speaking of makeups or whatever, if cat commits a stupid play on the next series, He's still even for the night, you know I mean? So he's not immediately behind the eight ball, which I think is, those are the kinds of internal calculations I'm afraid Cat makes sometimes. And so being able to get Cat off on a three and then having him aggressively go into a couple of people and get the whistle on another one early. Um, Free throws were huge. Those are the types of things um, that really helped. Now, he had four turnovers, I think, in the first quarter. Now, three of them were bad turnovers. Another one was like a heave 
to try to get the last second shot. But still, mm -hmm. three turnovers in the first quarter, and yet he had enough good things on the side of his ledger that he was not troubled and he was not in foul trouble. You're right. And again, I, it brings me back to the idea that what makes Clark on top of everything else such a tough matchup for the Wolves in general is that he gets so many of his rebounds right in front of the rim. I've never seen a power forward. Usually that's the center's spot, you know, and he manages to find the sliver between where the bigs usually operate at the exact front of the rim to get his stuff going. And he's perfected that floater from there, that catch and shoot, or even coming back down, taking one dribble and shooting a tiny fadeaway or something. He's got that, he's got that shot. And so when Cat sees that, he's likely to follow that guy, you know. Mm. And so I'm really glad that uh, that opportunity didn't present itself. It did start to present itself in the third quarter where Clark, I think, got off some. Um, but anyway, you're right. Not as much foul trouble for Cat. Um, the biggest, obviously, in terms of foul news, the biggest problem for the Wolves was Jade McDaniel couldn't stay on the floor. And he, mm -hmm. in his very scant minutes, um, was guarding people well. Um, he, he actually, I thought, did one of the best jobs on Bain during his very short time. Um, and I don't think all his fouls were on Bain. I just think it was, you know, it was one of those situations. Uh, where, it, it's the recovery, right? Like, that, that's what we're talking about with this Bain thing. Right. The majority of those threes are about the defense not recovering back out. And when it's, you know, six foot tall Patrick Beverly with the six whatever wingspan right. closing out at him, that's not as much of a contest as when it's 6'10 Jade McDaniels with a seven whatever right. wingspan there too. So, yes, I to, to go back to how can the Wolves help answer the jaw versus Bane if we're right. selecting the Bane part of right. the equation thing? Yes, Jade McDaniels would would help there a lot back to the cat thing yeah. though like i don't like he could play better games that i mean he's had a good a good game in one and four and specifically to last night you look at the final box and it's you know 33 and 14 obviously you know you love to see that that was so driven it was so driven by the free throws i mean carl was eight of 17 you know from the field which was five of 12 from two exactly you know and that's rare with with whoever's you know whoever's guarding him. It's it's rare that he doesn't shoot over fifty percent from from two point range there. So there there's like another level in theory that Carl can get to offensively in this theory in this series, provided he can avoid foul trouble right. in in those games. Because now we're talking about dangerous if he's able to get downhill in his Giannisy sort of way, get to the line double digits times. Plus, I mean, I loved it. You know, it's my thing. Like, okay, they got you squared up on the perimeter. Like, let's go into the, like, create for yourself on the perimeter bag. We saw a little bit of that. Like, if they're they're going to load up on him even more next game. Like, you're not going to be able to get down. You're not going to get to the line. 17 and, and this is, I, I know you were gritting your teeth. I certainly was gritting mine when Finch was saying, it's a special case that, you know, you bring it out in special circumstances like that call out of the timeout that uh, Jace Frederick 
harped on correctly harped on because it is an outlier. But the first play of the game was a three. The uh, one of the plays out of the timeout in the second half when the Wolves were stopping a run uh, was a, a three from Cat. He was three for five. Um, just the taking of them is also a warning. It's like when Ja goes in the lane, Ja doesn't always have to finish or dish. It's just that everybody knows that Ja is so effective when he's in the paint that it tilts the mm-hmm. floor a little bit. If Cat is out, the rock. if Cat is out there at the three-point line and he's hit a couple, um, by all means, because at the end of the day, who do they have? They have Jaron Jackson Jr. Really is the one guy quick enough and tall enough to make that a tough matchup. Um, mm. But you know, Chris Finch is leaving possessions on the table, not going to that. At the very least, more so that it is another thing that Memphis has to game plan for because it almost isn't enough now. I mean, five shots, I think, was probably the series high for him from deep last night. Uh, I know he was 0 for 2 in the previous two games. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, Finch wrestles with this like, idea that like flow is what enables this offense which it does like that is the identity of the however key point an iso heavy flow that's not Mm -hmm. easy (laughs) right and by drawing up more and more plays calling cats not like any play i'm not saying play calls are bad or wrong but a play call when you've called a play, you are not, not going flowing. into your flow right, right, of, right. Uh, of your offense. And and Finch loves flow. Right. That is that is that is his preferred medium for for scoring buckets right. for his team. So I I'm with you. I think you know you probably got to maybe let go of a little bit of that flow if and when call, you know obviously in game three might have been a good idea to have called his number a couple more times when Memphis was was making those runs back but again like finch we've learned in everything he like he's he's riding the horse that took him here right and the adjustments he's making are off of like their baseline right right it's he's not he's not gonna do anything immensely different than than what they did during the regular season he believes in kind of what got them there okay and we're we're in a and far more often than we're in disagreement on this pod, which is fine with me, you know. Um, but to kind of buttress what you're saying and at the same time rebut kind of the Finch idea, um, do Delo was two for six from three. How many of those threes were really taken in flow? You know, mm. um Delo decides to call his own number every now and then and and will spend a lot of time just finding his particular spot you know he's like a cat out there finding his right little nesting ground uh, to lie down he, he wants to find his spot and that especially is true of threes at least with twos he gets into that herky-jerky jazz stuff that he does and that works i i'd like that anyway because it keeps everybody alert for the pass or whatever but when d you can almost tell sometimes when he's out at the top of the key 
that he wants to shoot the threes. Um, the only outlier I can think of is in middle of the game, he did twice do that weird up fake of extended arms and then zip it immediately over to Ant, who hit both of them. It got off. That action did get Ant off. And that was Delo setting up the possibility of his own three to make the, th the flow. But I got to tell you, that doesn't mean that Cat can't do the same thing. Why can't Cat be out there faking threes or taking threes and then either going to the cup or making the pass? That too is flow. If you're going to have an ISO heavy offense that emphasizes flow, then the idea of having D'Angelo Russell as your point guard is a little counterintuitive. I think it's about the speed, though, in which you're getting into your offense. A lot of the time when D'Lo is taking these isolations that you're talking about that lead to shots that aren't going to go in often, it's because the Wolves have been so delayed into their offense. And here we are with six, seven seconds left in the shot clock. And yes, it's D'Lo calling his number, but to not call his number when he's holding the ball with six seconds left on the shot clock might be an even worse option. I mean, we saw that a ton in game three, just running down the shot clock and all those sorts of things. So my, my main point is just when the, and this has been a thing all season, when the Wolves are playing with more pace, D'Lo is going to be getting, you know, cleaner looks and better, better situations to call his And own. is Cat then? No. See, that's the thing. Cat isn't when that happens. But he, Cat is choosing to, Cat chose to not call his number a lot in game three. He caught the ball at the top of the key a lot and, my my biggest frustration when I see Cat catch the ball at the top is his first thing is not to look at the rim. You got to catch. You got to look at right. the rim. When when he's catching the top and his initial reaction is to scan right, scan left. Well, here you go. You can't drive anymore because now the defense is already right. boxes and elbows right. you up there. So he's got like it, it. It goes all the way down the roster. Everything that you can do quicker with this team helps. Right, and that's and that's why. Jordan McLaughlin was was so helpful in this game because he does that more than anyone. And I want to get to that in just a minute. What I will say is, wouldn't it be wonderful, given all the habits he's demonstrated in the first four games, for Cat to do the jab, step, step back three? How open would that be right now? Don't don't even talk to me. <laughs> don't even talk to me about that. As as far as. Getting into the offense. Nope, nope, cutting you off. We're doing another ad no, no. break. We'll be okay, back okay. in a second with Brent. <laughs> if you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back again. Final segment with Britt Robson, who I just cut off again before the last break. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about Carl Anthony Towns. We want more step back threes, of course, always. Um, you know, that makes sense. It's it's Britt. It's just about it's just about the decisiveness up there, right? When he catches right, it. Right. And when you talked about early in the clock, um not getting that happening and why that leads to D'Lo. Some of that is D'Lo himself, but most of the time in these playoffs, it's been Pat Bev wanting to do some poking around before he eventually gives it up. Um, and so also I, plays too slow. I can't, yeah, I can't blame that on it. But round to the topic du jour, the guy who does not do that ever is Stuart McLaughlin. I mean, no one will ever accuse McLaughlin of playing slow unless for some reason he holds the ball for three and four seconds, in which case, you know, that something is going on. You do not see. And Finch is grabbing his ass and throwing him on the bench. That's what happened. J-Mag J-Mag knows he doesn't play. If he doesn't play fast cat and D'Lo and the other guys are going to get for 30 minutes, no matter what. So, but yeah. And the other night, J-Mag, the fact Finch has two first principles when it comes to offense, one is move the ball, which J-Mac does brilliantly. And the other is move without the ball, which J-Mac also does brilliantly. And in the playoffs, you get to a situation where J-Mac is going to be open a lot moving without the ball because in the playoffs, Grizzlies are looking around and saying, if Jordan McLaughlin beats us, We'll have we'll we'll <laughs> risk that, you know. Well, guess what? Yeah. You know, he beat you last night. He had 16 points. He didn't miss a shot. You left him open. The one time you did guard him, he basically up faked from three and then hit a, a really tough court a floater on the baseline. That's what I knew. Man, you know, his confidence is really high right now. Um he also did, that's what struck me. He did the confidence, right? He, he did not. Um, he was a liability on defense, you know, where against this team, this is a pretty big physical Grizzlies team. I think he more or less held his own. They obviously didn't focus on him. Um, his minutes were allowed to be flourishing minutes, but at the same time, he came from deep bench and was ready and, as you say, confident. Um, and was in a one-point game 
you know, not to be over the top or anything, but he doesn't play in that game. I don't know, man. They got nothing from Malik Beasley. They got little from McLaughlin. I mean, uh, McDaniels because of foul trouble. Uh, Torian Prince still is trying to find his zone in this thing. Uh, he was the bench, and it, what a con- what a contribution. He played 14 minutes. The Wolves won those 14 minutes by six points. The other 34 minutes of the game, they lost by five. Or, no, they lost by seven, you know? Right. So it's like I, not a perfect stat, but it's the stat that we've seen all year from when they get good J-Mac, that version of him, even when he's not making threes, which right. he did not do a lot of <laughs> right. during the regular season. But his value has not been about score right. this this year when, when pace, he's played right? and yeah and and for people who haven't maybe been watching this team like yeah the little five foot nine dude he's been doing the, like all of those things outside of three-point shooting the the chaos the randomly getting in there to tip rebounds out over jerry jack all that stuff like jordan mclaughlin has done that when he has played the entire season and chris finch absolutely loves it right it is there's a lot of Jordan McLaughlin, you know, fans out there on Twitter and like Chris Finch is running one of those accounts. There's nobody, (laughs) there's nobody who loves J-Mac more than Chris Finch does. And the great thing about J-Mac is opponents continue to expect him to stop and pick up his dribble. And he doesn't, he doesn't pick up his dribble until he's ready. And when he's picking up his dribble, I would say 80% of the time, it is not to pick up his dribble. It is to pass the ball. He passes on the dribble constantly. He has great court vision. He's got really good timing. He's got a wonderful feel for the internal rhythm of the game, what the defense is doing as well as what the offense is doing. Um, I got to think that Malik Beasley is mourning not getting rhythmic minutes with him right now. Uh, because he's in such a funk, uh, not being able to get a shot off, just because it's not that type of game for him. Beasley is in a much more of a free, uh, a free-floating game, and he doesn't have uh, Desmond Bain's uh, physical impact, and so uh, and 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 you need that from your catch and shoot guys right now because this is a very physical series. I noticed Tyus occasionally Tyus has been great I think but when he hasn't been great it's because he just doesn't have the 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 humph you know the idea of just being able to lean into the game and affect it J-Mac for whatever reason um is able to do that in a canny way rather than a physical way I mean ever since he like blocked three shots in the paint in a two-game span. <laughs> you know, I've I've always just been amazed at, you know, his proclivity for, you know, being able to get that stuff done. But he he clearly uh you know and had fun with them. They went to the podium last night in the post game. I'm sure you probably talked about it with Kyle. Uh but what fun, you know, I mean it's great to hear Ant when he's off on a run, you know, a great out of the blue, paying to Josh Okogie last night, you know, out of nowhere, you know, just you, you love that, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I mean, flowers to a guy who 
one of the reasons he gave the flowers is because Josh doesn't have any and is smiling anyway, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so that's just a great teammate, you know? And, and I will tell you that dude will ascend in the pecking order. You know, his, his ability will dictate it and his demeanor will dictate it. And it will be a lot of fun to watch. Well, Britt, here we are, four games in now, um, three to go, you know, came into this series, even, you know, even before we knew the Memphis matchup, my whole thing was like, man, get a series that's real and competitive, take it long. I don't think the expectation of achievement needs to be winning the series, right. but, you know, take it long. And they've done that. And I think you, they will feel, you know, the positive externalities of that going into the off season, into next season and all that. But at the same time, they have the opportunity here with three games to go to be even more than that. Yep. Right. And, 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 and win this series. So obviously two of the final three in Memphis, that's a disadvantage if you're the wolves, but where, where are you at on, on how this kind of shakes out over the next week? I liken game five a lot to game two. I think that mm -hmm. Memphis will come in saying, we took these guys for granted, and that's a mistake. Um, I will be surprised if the Wolves win game five, um, just because Memphis is a tough team to kill. Um, they are deceptively... Uh, if you look at the teams in the NBA and say who will be the odds on NBA champion or representative from the West or whatever, Memphis will be way below its rank. And um, yep. they are a better team on the box score than they are on the court. Um, and it is because they play tough they play together. They are well coached. They do have a dynamic superstar um, who they play off of well. Um, right now, the GOAT of the playoffs is Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, that dude needs to play the kind of defense without fouling that made him probably a shoe in for one of the all defensive teams. I know he got some all defensive player of the year votes, if I'm not mistaken, if he didn't, he probably should have. Um, but why are we expecting it? That, I mean, that's the same thing I said after cat went crazy in game three with foul trouble. Again, it's like, why in this series are we shocked that Carl Anthony towns and Jaron Jackson jr. Two of, and Dylan Brooks, right. Those are maybe the three most prolific followers in the NBA <laughs> right. over the past right. five years. Right. You know, Cats led the league. Cat led the league in fouls in 17, 18. He led the league in fouls in 18, 19. Jaron Jackson Jr. led the league in fouls in 19, 20. And this year, Jackson Jr. was second and Cat was third. This is who, and like, this is who they are. It's, <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, Dylan Brooks was third. He led the league the year out 2020, 21. Right. Like, th this is who those guys are. It's, it's the way they play, and and all three players are are good players. It's it it's it's the yin and the yang of all of this. But like you're right, Jackson Jr. is 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 super important in this series. I I said after Game Three, or actually going into Game Three, I was like, 
you know, just given the physicality of this series and the way that, you know, Carl fouls, I think it's like a 60% chance that there will be some degree of foul trouble in any individual game. Well, Jackson Jr., it's even higher than that, you know? And I, I, how, how can you not expect foul trouble from him in any of these games individually? I'm fine with that. I agree with you that um, I think he's gotten, I think he's been the victim of some cheap calls, probably more than any other player. But forget about that. What he is doing while he is on the court, he has played with foul trouble, as you point out, a lot. He has not been the factor. He blocked seven shots in game one and got hot from the outside in game two. But other than that, I can't think of Jaron Jackson really getting work done in this series. Um, his defense on Cat has been not as memorable as Clark's or even Kyle Anderson's, you know, early in the coverage that Kyle Anderson showed in game two, I believe it was. Um, so, and even Tillman had his, you know, better moments on Cat. I, I haven't seen him be a good Cat snuffer. And I think Memphis needs that, even if he's going to be the secondary guy the secondary guy can be very important because he's eventually the guy that Cat eventually has to meet on the shot. Um, and he's a perfect guy for it. Why he's not delivering on that, I don't know. Why he's not cooking with Ja more often is something that I guess if I watch more film, I would probably be able to figure out. But that seems a mystery to me that Ja's not getting him a lot of uh, good buckets I don't know whether it's because Cat and Vando are doing good work or whether or not um, Jaws just too harassed. Well, Jackson's playing out on the perimeter more. He's popping. And the Wolves are, they don't care. But in transition, he, shoots. he should not, yeah. he should not be. And I think it, it, he doesn't seem like, Bain got a lot of transition points. Clark even got a lot of transition points. Jaron Jackson, I just don't know. I mean, I, I understand that this is all coming from a place of enormous respect. I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is the second best player on that team. And he has not played like it, you know? You would say certainly Bain. not played like it. Yeah. I would say Bain. But yeah. but yeah, I mean, very instrumental to what they did this season because they needed the defense. And he's provided the defense in this series, but only in limited minutes. And like part of fouls too, like are not just getting in foul trouble and going to the bench. It's bad when you foul a shooter, they get free throws, right, you know, right, like right, those are, right. those are easy. Like it's not just about needing to, to sit on the bench to the, uh, to the game five point. I I'm with you. And I, I, I hear you with the, like the idea of game two and, and the energy of it. The thing the wolves do have to just, counter that advantage that Memphis should have by being home and and angry and all those things is that the Wolves are more talented and they have this ability in the first quarter which we've seen to not only punch hard first but punch like really hard mm -hmm. and and they know that's happened in multiple games and to your point Memphis is resilient very much resilient they, like they don't get they don't get knocked out by that at all look at game three but like there is, in my mind, there is very much a way where the first quarter plays out again and where, you know, it's 
33 to 21 at the end of the first quarter. And the Wolves have established like the upper hand of the game, which again doesn't necessarily dictate what the result will be. But as always with the Wolves, it even in the regular season, it's like, what show me what I'm going to know a lot about how you're going to play tonight by what you do in the first six minutes. Are you getting, are you generating turnovers? Are you getting out in transition? You know, are you punching first? And when they connect, like the Wolves really, really connect on that. I think that Taylor Jenkins is a good enough coach to have something in his bag that changes the dynamic of that first quarter. Cause I think it, everything you said is accurate. Um, but that's because Memphis mostly duplicated a strategy in game four that didn't work in game three, which is heavy jaw, uh, you know, taking it to the team um, and figuring it out. Um, if that continues and it doesn't work, then I think that and the, the lack of Jackson uh, Clark front court time will make this a very bad series for Jenkins. But I have more faith in Jenkins as a coach than that. I think that there will be a way for Ja to, whether it's, as you say, putting him on D'Lo, just finding a way. It'll be, a. I think, I, th- I expect what I'm saying is without really knowing how it will develop, I think Ja Morant will have a big game. I think that there will be some foul trouble on the Wolves to keep personnel. I don't know who it'll be. It might be Pat Bev. It might be Cat. It might be Ant. Um, but I do see, um, I think at the end of the first half, I expect the Grizzlies to be up. And if that's true at home in a pivotal game, that's a big hill for the Wolves to climb. Is your prediction Grizzlies in seven? Yes. I oddly think it's going to be Wolves in seven. Uh huh. And so again, and it's it's going off of what I was saying, where like obviously the I thought the home crowd was very instrumental in kind of facilitating the energy for the Wolves, and I think we'll you know I think we'll for sure see that in Game Six again. But I don't think the Wolves like need that. I think they can win five or seven in Memphis because I what I've been saying the whole time. Like I don't if you got cat under control, you don't got a matchup there and you have this ability to be certainly the more potent offensive team. Um, We'll learn a lot in, in game five. I kind of feel like I'm coming into every one of these games struggling to even have a strong opinion on right. what is going to happen because I feel like so much of it in this series is not just with Carl, but with like eight guys in this series is who's going to keep their head. Right. And right. I, I can't, that's, <laughs> that's very difficult, you know, a very difficult thing to predict, but I think the wolves get one of five and six. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's game seven. It's, it's one game. I don't think like, there's not a guy on Memphis or maybe in the series who you're like, Oh, this is a game seven player. Who's, you know, going to take it over. I don't, I don't think in game seven, I'm like, okay, Jaws going to get 40. Like, I think he might. I think that you're, hasn't happened. Hasn't happened. You're talking 33 year old Pat Beverly 
in game seven, having logged a lot of time, um, I think that it's entirely possible that jaw explodes. Um, I don't know whether it'll be five, six, or seven. I think the longer the series goes, the more wear and tear. I mean, let's face it. Patrick Beverly plays extremely physical style, although I do notice that he is not, he's avoiding collisions more than he usually does. And, uh, but I do think that that matchup over time will slowly but surely tilt Memphis's way as they either adjust to it or just the pure talent, the high-end talent that is John Morant um, and the flair and the confidence he plays with will all begin to exert their will. Um, I, do I, think, wanna... I think it's more likely that Cat has that game than Ja does, in my opinion. Okay, well, and I can see Cat having that game um, but to be fair, I wouldn't have said that after game three because I was more worried about the voltage and right. entering game four than I currently am. So I'm prisoner of the moment to some extent, but I, I think that's what I think in my head right now. I think that Cat having that game won't matter as much as Ja having that game. I think if Ja has that game, okay. what that means is Grizzlies run wild. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, I can really see the, you know, the case where You've seen it where, you know, they fly down the court, Bain maybe misses a three, and Brooks is there for the, you know, tip in, or somebody gets the rebound, kicks right. it back out, Tyus in the corner. Um, they play out of transition really well. The Wolves do not transition well. Fast break points don't make any difference. What we're talking about is a miss, oftentimes by Cat or somebody falling down on the sideline. They go up four on three, five on four. Um, and crush you. They're really good at that. And if they have it, have it happen once or twice in a row, their defense gets a lot more tenacious and they, they get the sense that they're on a roll. That's Grizzlies basketball. And that's what I fear uh, the Wolves will be encountering uh, uh, more in the next three games than perhaps they've seen, uh, you know, and maybe not as dramatically as game three, but they, they will see it. One last thing I want to say, because I know we're wrapping up soon, that I, I had mentally thought to myself, the Wolves' chances of winning go up dramatically if Jared Vanderbilt could repeat his performance of last night. Um, Good point. I think being able to have the grit and grind Grizzlies get a taste of their own medicine, not overwhelmingly, but he was a consistent presence last night. I mean, I can't remember the last time he got 35 minutes in a game. And I looked at the box score. His first half and his second half were like the same half. He played exactly <laughs> the same way. Got like the same amount of points, same amount of rebounds, same amount of all this stuff. Um, and it's because when Vando was humming, it is inexorable. It feels like he's always there. And that is, um, it's a load bearing weight on the opponent to think about Vanderbilt hanging around 
offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds, tipping balls, just passes in the backcourt. Um, he can be a pest. And it is very clear to me that he is feeling like this is his, I mean, he's not stupid. Everybody's thinking about what's going to happen. Unless Vanderbilt has really, really good playoffs and shows this option to be a really viable one, the Wolves could move off him significantly next season. Um, what he's trying to do is be at least option 1A if it's not going to be option 1. And I think that's a motivator. And I think that Finch gave him kind of an endorsement last night when he said even if McDaniels hadn't gotten in foul trouble, he would have probably rode McDaniels yep. more than the nine minutes he got, I think, in one of the games. So I think that as much as I think the Grizzlies' grit and grind is underrated by everybody because it's not easily quantifiable, I think if you could put up your own grit and grind, that corrodes a little bit of that Grizzlies effectiveness. And I think that will be important. I think it's, there's, there's two parts of it. Like Vando pretty consistently and particularly in the playoffs will deliver on his version of chaos, right? right. On the O glass and playing and, and, you know, playing passing lanes, generating steals, guarding. There, there's that part of it, which is kind of this like controlled expectation coming into games. But I give Cat a ton of credit for Jared Vanderbilt being able to play over 30 minutes in these last two games, the cat to Vando connection. Once cat has been doubled in these last two games has been excellent. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not like he's finding like the, the ones we see in our head most are the, okay, two comes over. Here's dunk. Here's Vando from the dunker spot, catch dunk it. But it's happening so often where cat has the ball and is getting doubled that it's not always going to be in this spot where it's an easy drop off pass and a dunk. So you see Vando kind of swooping in and around the dunker area as a cutter rather than like a standstill dunker. And when he's doing that, Vando is a good passer. Mm -hmm. If he can catch it, like he is a good passer. To There, there was one play in game three where where Cat found Vando. Cat was in like the, the right corner-ish above the break area to come to him. He finds... He finds Vando kind of like diving to the basket right in front of the rim, but two Grizzlies are there to swarm. And Vando like instinctually pivots around to the opposite corner where Ant is spotted up. I mean, that's huge, right? right? This has been the biggest problem with the Wolves offense the whole year right. is when this stuff isn't happening. It's when the half-court offense stagnates. And for Vando to be able to get his dunks and to be a passer, that's huge. And Cat unlocks that by being smart and deliberate against those double teams, which even in game three, when everybody was bagging on him for only four shots, which he should have taken more, right. should have called his own number. We already been over that. Like cat has done a good job of finding Vando. Cause that's the dude that these teams are leaving open. Right? Like that's, that's the play. So I credit to both of them for, for executing that. And, and credit, I think to Finch and the coaching system. Cause I think that was clearly a point of emphasis in practices because you could see not only cat, but others are looking for Vando on late breaking cuts. It's the same thing as like 
we talk about the short roll all the time right. where you like the guy comes up and sets the screen, the point guard drops the pocket pass, and then he's looking right and left. It functions the exact same way because a pick and roll is putting two on the ball, right? Well, you don't even need to do a pick and roll with Cat because they're putting two on the ball. So if Vando can catch the ball anywhere in that eight-foot range, he's functionally an open short roll player to dunk it and or pass it. And he, while he doesn't have some things in his offensive skill set, he does have that. Pa- I think the passing part of Vando's game is the most, it's not the most valuable, but it, I, I do think it's the, it's the most underrated. Yeah. And also if he's making those early shots, um, it's like, any, you know, Vando's another guy, high motor, so high motor that he doesn't really have a good fix on, on, what he's how well he's playing but if he has something good happen like a a early dunk or an early great offensive rebound his defensive rebounding by the way has some of the prettiest defensive rebounds i've ever seen i mean he's timing his jump just beautifully but back to the idea if he does something really well um vando with confidence is like so many players, I mean, you can say about anybody, but Vando does seem to get a lift from confidence because, again, it gets back to the idea that he is the flaw in the starting lineup. You know, I mean, that is unfortunately when the, the Wolves finish their season and take a hard look at what they're going to do. Um, that's one of the things they're going to be thinking about, and so he's going to play with that idea that he's got to be confident and have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and have that hustle. And if he can do that, um, then it's a win, 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 win. Good for Vando, good for the Wolves, you know, and good for the fans because it is fun basketball when Vando's really in the mix. 100%. When's, uh, when's the next column coming out? I might write either. I'll probably write early tomorrow morning. So I hope it'll come out sometime tomorrow. Um, but I haven't told people at MinPost that yet. So we'll see what they <laughs> think. Uh, and then I'll write probably, I may write the day after Tuesday. I may write on Wednesday. So if I don't write tomorrow, I'll write Wednesday. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's obviously so much to, you know, so, you, so much to talk about, so much to write about. There's certainly no shortage of things. This isn't right. this Fun. this isn't uh, a boring series by any stretch. Read Britt's column over at MimPost uh, early this week. I will uh, have Chris Harrington, who actually I met through Britt. Great uh, guy for the day. Great guy, smart guy. Um, I'm I'm excited actually to uh, just talking about the game last night. Of like, there's a lot of this like group think of us right? right and and the way you know the way we're and i was just eating dinner with some of the the memphis guys yesterday and as much as we all have our own biases that kind of like shape the way we're looking at it you know memphis the memphis guys do too they just have more context right for who and 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 what that team is so it's uh I mean, the pressure's on the two seed in this series yep. and 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 that team and so i'm I'm curious to get what uh what Chris's well, take is there. I did a podcast with him before the series and learned a ton about Memphis. In fact, I felt bad at the end of it. I learned a lot more about the Grizzlies than he learned about the Wolves. <laughs> and I mean, it, I learned about you know who Dylan Brooks guards is the priority. 
and putting him on D'Lo instead of Ant early was a real signal as to how much they regarded D'Lo as a you know threat. These little things that you wouldn't know otherwise, you know, you right. just see the matchup and you go, okay, that's the way they want to go there. So having those internal dynamics and now having four games in which to, you know, play off those internal dynamics he's talking to me about, I think it'll be a great pod. Uh, well, it's it's been a great series, yeah. and you know that's what that's what you know. Just I'm really glad we got a we got a fun game four there that was also a win. So right. we're we're going to Memphis with a series here. I mean, three one would have been you know, would have been would not have been over, but would have been very different. Right, so, and hopefully so, yeah. put some perspective in the sky is falling mentality that uh, this community loves to embrace. Exactly. Bang. <laughs> he's uh he's Britt Robson. Follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane at Dane Moore MBA. I'll probably have Britt on sometime next week to talk as well, but we'll keep uh, you know, we're we're staying lean. We don't know what's gonna happen right. with with the with the rest of the series when everything's and you're traveling, man. You know, times. you got you got things to do, places to go, I, people to see. Yes. I am begrudgingly heading back to Memphis tomorrow. Uh, but thanks again, Britt, uh, for doing this. Again, read Britt's stuff at, at MimPost. And I'll be back to talk to you tomorrow with Chris Harrington. Until then, he's Britt. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it all so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.